Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Text, as Pastor Elliot mentioned, is that reading from Acts chapter 2. So we took a little break last week from our sermon series to hear from Dr. Martin Luther, a.k.a. Pastor Shusky, former pastor here at St. Luke's, now pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Frankfurt, Germany, and to celebrate the Reformation. Now, this past week has been a bit discombobulating for me. I won't go into the details. And so, I'm wondering if perhaps you had a few things going on in your world too, because I need, I need a bit of recentering this morning. I need a reminder of what this is all about. One of Jesus' first followers named Paul, who wrote a good share of what we call the New Testament, said to the congregation he had started in the city of Philippi, forgetting what is behind, I strain forward to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. And this Awakening Hearts sermon series is that. It is a straining forward to take hold of our future as followers of Jesus in this place at this unique moment in time in our life together. And so for seven weeks, we have been laying it out for you all to take hold of. Awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ is our mission statement. That's why St. Luke's exists. We are continuously seeking to awaken hearts of those who are here week after week, drawing you ever deeper into the fullness of life that is ours in Christ, and at the same time seeking continuously to draw your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, and the community around us to discover this power of life in Christ. Now, if we are successful in our mission, here's what you and all who believe will experience. First of all, a life of freedom. At the cross, all your sins are forgiven. At the resurrection, your future is guaranteed. You are free, people, to live humbly and boldly now. A life of joy, celebrating this regular rhythm of Sabbath, of of rest, as God fills your life with that sense of joy. A life of sacrifice, where We give up our personal gain in order to build the kingdom of God. And finally, a life of renewal, developing these these healthy habits that continuously transform us into His image through the forgiveness of sins and the filling of grace. The mission is before us. The life marks freedom, joy, sacrifice, and renewal that demonstrate that your heart has been awakened. Today we want to start to explore the means by which we hope to accomplish all of that. And the first, the first is simply our, our time together, our worship gatherings and what happens whenever we get together. There is simply no other place on earth like this. 
Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Worship is not so much a place where we come to do something for God, but it is a place where God promises to come and do something for us. It's here in this gathering that God uniquely unleashes His Holy Spirit. As you hear the Word of God being read and being preached, and as you sing the Word in the hymns and of the songs, human beings were created by God to dwell continuously in His full glory presence. And that's what we lost in the fall when Adam and Eve decided for all of us, for all humanity, that we would try and do life by ourselves in worship, the real presence of God is restored now by faith in Jesus until He comes again to make it permanent. So to accomplish our mission of awakening hearts to experience the power of life in Christ, our freedom, joy, service, and renewal, it is necessary. It is necessary for you and for me to gather for worship regularly. Our text for today does two things. It tells us, first of all, what worship is, and then it tells us what worship does when we draw near with a true heart and confess our faith. If you look at the opening verse, worship consists of these four things, teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Now, we only have time this morning to take a brief glance at each one of these. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Look, I've told you many, many times that the Bible says that the Word of God is actually alive and active. It has a transforming power that comes into you and changes you. And to try and help you visualize that, to remember it, I have asked you on more than one occasion to imagine that we had Hollywood special effects when I'm up here preaching. And I'd have a stream of green smoke come shooting out of my mouth. And it would go all the way up to the ceiling, and then it would split into little individual fingers that would come down and be trying to get into every person's ears, and some would be dodging and ducking, and others would have their hands clasped over their ears, la, 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 trying not to hear it. But some, some would receive the word, and it would go into their heart and awaken it. And it would begin to transform their lives into lives of of freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal. And when that happens, when that happens, fellowship follows. Now, that's a unique word. In the original language of the New Testament, it's the word koinonia, and it is a -a one-of-a-kind connection that exists between people who believe in Jesus. We sing it in one of the old hymns, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. 
So when two or three or a hundred or a thousand people who believe in Jesus are gathered together, the relationship that they have with one another through Jesus outweighs all of the other differences and distinctions that we so often make in this world. Look, no matter how different we are every, every other way, in Christ we experience a tie that binds us all together. It outweighs all the other relationships that you have in life based on, on family or ethnicity or gender or social status. You are a Christian first, and you're white or black or, or whatever second. You're a Christian first, and you're wealthy or not so wealthy second. You're a Christian first, and a Democrat or a Republican or something else second or third or fourth. Worship consists of the apostles' teaching that brings us into fellowship with one another, and then the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread was a general term that was used for sharing a meal, but in the context of the worship of the followers of Jesus, it quickly came to mean the sharing of the meal that we call the Lord's Supper. You remember on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Now, trust me when I tell you that we could have a whole sermon on the Lord's Supper. But for today, for today, suffice it to say that the Bible teaches that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus comes to be present, truly and physically present, in, with, and under the bread and the wine. In a mysterious and an unexplainable way, Jesus' body and blood are distributed and received by faith in Him. And as we eat and as we drink this bread and this wine, the Holy Spirit carries Jesus into our system. It strengthens us in body and in soul. It unites us with one another and not just those gathered here in the room, but believers throughout time and throughout history. And with all of the angels and the archangels and the company of heaven. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and finally, prayer. God speaks to us through His Word. We respond to Him with our prayers. In worship, people, God invites us to come into His presence, to gather up all our wants and our needs, and to offer them before His throne with the promise that He hears and that He will always give us exactly what we would have asked for if we only knew what He knows. In other words, sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says wait. That's what worship is, a one-of-a-kind encounter with God. Now, what does worship do? Look, when we devote ourselves to it, when we come frequently and regularly and consistently, and we participate and we engage in the actions of worship, God transforms our lives with the power of Christ to experience more and more freedom and joy and sacrifice and renewal. 
Now, this word awe in the original Greek is the word phobos, which is fear, as in fear of the Lord. Look, God is holy and just, and we are not. Therefore, we come into His presence with a certain amount of fear and trembling. Worship is serious business, and yet God is gracious, and He's merciful, and He loves us, and He forgives us. Therefore, we are flooded with wonder and with amazement. The first followers were witnesses to signs and wonders. Those were miracles like Jesus performed, done now by the apostles. And while those are still possible, and rest assured, God will and does work them when and where He pleases, our sense of awe is not dependent on them. I can remember the first time that I saw this worship facility. The sanctuary had not been built when I served my vicarage here back in 1986 and 87. Lois and I came for a post-call interview in December of 1997, and Pastor Rosso picked us up at the airport and drove us over to the Lutheran Haven where we were going to stay during our visit. But before he dropped us off, he pulled into the parking lot out in front of the church, and it was twilight. It was almost dark, and that stained glass window with Jesus with his arms outstretched was lit from inside, and that sight literally took my breath away. Now, I watch people weekly come into this sanctuary and see their gaze drawn up to the figure of Christ on the front column, and you can see the wonder in their eyes. This space by itself inspires awe, and when you add the presence of the Holy Spirit, it can fill your soul with wonder. Only now, I fear that I have gotten so used to it that I walk through and barely even notice. Until, until I stop myself and let the awe flood back in again. Look, what do we have in common? Well, first, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and then even more remarkably, we are justified freely through faith in Jesus, and on that foundation, our social and economic and political and cultural differences slide into the background, and we become one body in Christ. How did Paul say it to his letter to the Ephesians? There is one body and one spirit one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all who is over all and through all and in all. And in this week of midterm elections in a world and in a country that is literally tearing itself apart as Satan seeks to divide and to conquer us, worship is the place where God puts us back together. Radically, radical generosity ensued. Spontaneous, joyous, free generosity, people, is what happens when we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. That is when we worship. Now, look, this wasn't a requirement. It wasn't forced. It wasn't a form of government. It was not mandated redistribution of wealth. 
This is people who were moved by the Holy Spirit out of love for Jesus, seeing and responding to the needs around them. One of the problems that we often face is living with a scarcity mentality. That is, I'm afraid that if I give away too much, I won't have enough left for myself and for my family. But if God is all-powerful and all-knowing and present everywhere and kind and loving and gracious and merciful, the sovereign ruler of the universe, then why are we afraid of running out? I mean, how did Jesus put it? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In two weeks, we're going to take a look at our third strategy for accomplishing our mission to awaken hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. It's called Community Connections. And it will be about a renewed, ongoing effort to use our resources, our time and our talent and our treasure to serve the people in need, not only within our congregation but out in our community. But it's not only worship that produces this radical generosity. Worship will also foster in us a radical hospitality. Look, there's more to following Jesus than just showing up for worship once a week. Worship will create in you a desire to spend some time with other believers to learn together, to pray together, and yes, to eat together because food is the universal language of hospitality. Next week, we will take up the second strategy for achieving our mission to awaken hearts. That one's called spiritual formation groups, and we will talk about expanding the opportunities to gather outside this time of worship. And this, this is what God does when we seek to give Him our faithful worship and service in response to His love for us in Christ. He will add to our numbers those who are being saved. Through our worship gatherings, our faith is renewed. And we are drawn deeper and deeper into God's grace so that our faith-formed lives will be in the hands of God to use to add to the number being saved. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting.